Hello, it's Stephen. Welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. This week's episode features Dr. Glendon Henry. He is a physician, an emergency medicine physician out of New York City. That's where he was raised and where he trained and where he's worked his entire career. He is uh, got a huge role as the Associate Medical Director for Utilization and Management for the Metro Plus Health Plan, which he'll definitely get into more. The thing I love about this episode is it shows how big of an impact you can have. Dr. Henry is an emergency medicine physician, subspecialized in toxicology, but his career has taken him to incredible heights, and he's had huge roles within the healthcare system for New York City and has been able to really affect the lives in the healthcare for tens and thousands of the citizens of New York. I'm coming off of a fantastic weekend at the Student National Medical Association Annual Medical Education Conference. It was in Orlando, Florida. Had a great time getting out, meeting a lot of you, and seeing you face-to-face. It was good to see people in person um, handing out this special gift. It was a pen that said, Representation Matters, because it is a slogan of the show and what we're here for. As we work towards creating new programming, I'm happy to announce that in June, uh, we have some extra special things coming Visit the website, www.theblackdatterspodcast.com. On that website, there will be an option where you can actually record a voice memo. You can ask us a question. It will go directly to me, and we'll be able to incorporate that into future episodes. In June, we're going to talk about transitions. We're going to arrange a panel discussion. So if you have any questions whatsoever, um, over the weekend, there was a ton of really, really good panels um, and obviously ran out of time a lot of a lot of the a lot of the times. So whatever questions you have about transitioning into becoming a resident or maybe a senior resident or an attending, feel free to visit the website and leave a voice memo and we'll be able to answer those in future shows. Without further ado, we'll listen to some words from our sponsors and then get into today's episode. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by Pickmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Pickmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Pickmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Pickmonic, you can study less, but remember more. Hello, I'm Stephen, host of the Black Doctors Podcast, here to talk about Clove. Clove is a sneaker specifically designed to meet the needs of healthcare professionals. I have a pair and I love how comfortable these shoes are, especially since I'm on my feet all day as an anesthesiologist. These shoes are perfect for the operating room because they are extra grippy and super easy to wipe clean at the end of the day. Purchase any pair of Clove shoes and compression socks at checkout. Use the code BDPXCLOVE to get your socks for free. A $22 discount just by listening to the show. The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. Excited to be speaking with Dr. Glendon Henry today. He is an emergency medicine physician and toxicologist. 
He's a native of Jamaica, but he's been in New York for quite a while. That's where he's been practicing since uh, the early 90s. A wealth of information. Dr. Henry is the Associate Medical Director for NYC Health and Hospitals, and he's going to talk about some of the big things that he's been up to in his career and how that's affected the health of the citizens of New York City. Dr. Henry, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So I guess we got to start back in uh, the, the motherland. How did you get from Jamaica to New York? Well, long story from what I can remember, <laughs> um, my parents were both uh, obviously from Jamaica. Um, my mother and father, we had uh, came to New York and brought us over slowly. There was uh, eight of us. So I'm number six of eight. And uh, wow. we came over, you know, gradually. And uh, by 1969, that's when I got here. Uh, only two were left in Jamaica, and then they were up here by the next two couple of years. So the entire family is now here in New York. Or, well, that's not true. Uh, the boys are in New York, uh, and the girls are elsewhere. <laughs> gotcha, Just gotcha. Boys, and then, uh, girls. <laughs> it's a big, big family. And then New York public school system? New York public school system all the way. Only way to go. Okay. Only way to go. And, and how was that experience? Because at the end of the, you know, New York public schools, where you know you went to college also in New York or, or where'd you go? Oh, yeah, I'm all New York. I did it all in New York. Um, it's interesting. Let me make one correction. I'm, I'm the associate medical director for Metro Plus Health Plan, which is a health plan for the Health and Hospital Corporation, which is the public health system of uh, New York City. Uh, just happens to be the largest public health system in in the country. Uh, so that's where I'm at now as an associate medical director, senior medical director for utilization management. But getting back to the uh, public health system, uh, yeah, went to school all in Brooklyn uh, for all the way up to high school. I tell people, you know, talking about that, uh, I went to school called South Shore High School in Flatlands Avenue in, in Brooklyn. Never saw the front of my high school hmm. the, four, the three years I was there. Uh, that should tell you what it was like back then. You know? No, why, why not? What? Well, it it was it was a very racially divided school system. Uh. You know, I I came in from parts of Brooklyn. They took us. We took the bus into South Shore High School, and I you know I I just knew that there was a rotunda. There was a front of the school, but I never saw it. I saw it after. I think it was right before I graduated. I saw the front of the high school from that view. Uh, the, the, the minority stuck on one side, uh, the majority stuck on the other side, and this who shall never meet. And and what what year was this? I graduated high school nineteen seventy nine. So, and were your your classes were no classes were integrated. Uh, classes integrated is not nothing was separated. It's just that you know the front of the school led to uh, you know that part of the the, the 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 Brooklyn where I didn't go, and the bus that I took took me back the other way. And I never saw it, but that's a story I shared with my kids. That I never saw the front of my high school. Wow! And thank God for the progress we've made since then. Still a lot of progress to There's to be made. Still a lot of progress we made. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So finished high school. Uh, went out to Long Island to go to Stony Brook University on Long Island. Uh, Twenty six thousand students, five hundred blacks and 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 uh, minorities. Great school. Great school. Um, Learned. You know. I say to people, four best years of my life in the sense that on my own, learn new things, meet new people. Uh, but it has issues also. I remember being on the dormitory hall and 
my in the third year, you could go live with, you know, friends in the suites and stuff like that if you want to. And when, you know, when you're uh, a black young man who's doing well in school, it opens doors that you don't normally see. So a lot of my friends from were on the dorms and they were mostly uh, white. And I remember when they were getting ready to go to um, live in the, the suites, they said, do you want to come and live with us? And I said, wow, yeah. And they said, yeah, because you're different. Mm. I never lived with them hmm. because being different was mean that you're not like the other minorities on campus. You are smart. You're doing well. You're different. And I lost all respect, all respect. So never lived with them, stayed, stayed where I was. And, you know, then went to medical school and uh, came back to Brooklyn to go to medical school. Went uh, downstate, uni- downstate University, uh, downstate medical center and right, you know, close enough to my mother's house to walk to get there. So. That's where we started. Yeah, yeah. I've been to downstate a couple. My good friend, uh, Dr. Kiana Ward, did her OB residency there. So I've been to the campus a couple times. Uh, yes. Quite a few f- friends that went to SUNY Downstate. Yeah, yeah. So it was a good time. Uh, medical school was a lot different from college. It was. It, it didn't have the camaraderie. It didn't have the, you know, hanging out with friends and stuff like that. It was just straight boom, 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 boom. So it was a little different. Medical school was. If I considered college the four best years of my life and growing and meeting friends and meeting other minorities and stuff like medical school was just completely different. It was just study, study, move, study, study, move. And it was it was not uh, it was not the greatest, but it, it was what it was. A, it wasn't the greatest experience in, in that sense, but I would never do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it differently. I would definitely yeah. just medical school was was a great thing to do. And you stayed on at uh, Downstate to do your emergency medicine residency. Mm-hmm. No. So I, after that, I went to a Metropolitan Hospital in Manhattan and Westchester Community, uh, Westchester Medical Center. And it was a joint uh, program, uh, part of the part of the uh, city city system again. So, you know, I, part of Health and Hospital Corporation. So I stayed with the city my whole career in terms of working for the public hospital system from residency to fellowship. And all my jobs have been associated with the city in the public hospital system. Oh, well, thank you for your service to the... Thank you. I've worked at private hospitals. I've, I've moonlit at private hospitals, but and and uh, but my service has always been to the public hospital system. At what point did you decide to pursue specialization in toxicology? Sure. Um, I, I remember the day like it was yesterday. Um, I was doing my emergency medicine residency, and I felt as an emergency medicine doctor, <clears throat> I could take care of anyone. If you came in sick, I knew what to do. I didn't feel I had the book knowledge to back it up. I didn't feel like mm. I was, I can read those articles and quote those articles and speak about a subject on the level I needed to. Doing, doing your emergency medicine residency, you're required to take a month into toxicology. And I remember being there and thinking, these are the smartest people I've ever met. And all they want to do is teach you and teach you and teach you and teach you. And I got interested and I said, wow, I can do this. I want to do this. And so you know, probably about the beginning of my third year, I decided this might be something I want to pursue. And uh, I applied and was blessed to get the position. Yeah, that's fantastic. So as an toxicologist, right? how has your career been different from a, a general emergency right. medicine physician? It's definitely open doors. It's, you know, I remember when I first went, when I, the day I went to, to uh, meet with the fellowship director in toxicology, I was convinced I wasn't going to do it. I wanted to do it, but I just felt, do I want to spend two years doing this 
and just sitting there and, you know, mentally just thinking about things. And I walked in his office. I said, I don't think I'm going to do this. And he said, let me tell you why. He said, in 10 years, emergency physicians will be a dime a dozen. How do you distinguish yourself from them? Hmm. That convinced me. That convinced me. But I wasn't that convinced because I'm laying my life out here now. <laughs> uh, November of my fellowship, first year of my fellowship, year, fellowship I, uh, I, I, I took vacation and I read a book called Presumed Innocence. It's, um, it's you know, there's, 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 the movie's been on TV and I came back and quit my fellowship. Really? I, yeah. I said to them, I've been doing medicine and reading medicine and, and, and just studying for the last 15 years. And I read this book that just made me realize that there's more to life. And it, it was a trash book. It wasn't anything deep. It was a trash book that made me realize that I don't want to just read medicine. And I quit. And I said, OK, I'm quitting. And they said, well, don't quit now because we can't replace you. Stay till the end of the year. And then we'll find someone else. And I did. And then the end of the year came. I decided to stay on. And it was a great move to do. It was a great thing to do. And I'm glad I stayed on. But it also made me realize that no matter what I'm doing in medicine, no matter what I'm doing in life, I always have to read just for pleasure. Okay. And that's what I've been doing. Now my kids know you don't have to buy me sweater or coat or nothing. It's an, it's an important you know, birthday, something like that. Get me a book. How many books do you read a month? Not that many. I'm a spurt reader. I'll read, okay. I'll read you know, one a week for a month or two, then I won't read for a while. And these are these are these are not you know scientific books. These are you know <laughs> these are Tom Clancy. You know these are uh, you know those kind of books. You know nothing nothing deep. It's 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 what relaxes me when I'm most stressed and I have the most work to do is when I start to read. Yeah, man. So you uh, finished that fellowship in toxicology, and your career has taken you a number of different places. You worked as an attending for a while, and then. You know, you started taking on more roles higher up within the healthcare system. Can you right. talk about the progression of your career? So yeah, so after my finished my fellowship in toxicology, I, I, I you know, I, I only wanted to work two or three days a week. I had just been recently married about two years. <laughs> I have a wife who has been so supportive. Every time I said I want to do something, she says I will support you. So when I said I finished my residency in emergency medicine, we got married that April. I said, okay, I'm finished with residency. I'm gonna you know, work, spend time with you. I come back and say, I want to do a fellowship for two years. She said, I'll support you. Thank you. I finished fellowship and I did research uh, for a while. And I, I said to her, I'm going to work three days a week and that's going to be it. We'll make enough money here. That's not a problem. She said, I support you. They asked me to become the associate residency director for the residency, residency mm. program. And I said, honey, let me do that for a little while. She says, I'll support you. <laughs> so, you know, so after emergency medicine residency program, I then uh, took on the role of being a clinical director for the emergency department at Bellevue Hospital, another part of the health and hospital corporation system, and did that for a while. And that was good. It was great. I, you know, it was, it was teaching residents. It was uh, having, having some medical students, uh, clinical stuff, world-class doctors, smart people. And I did that for a while. And then one day I saw a sign that says, Would you, something about being a medical director at, I think it was... Uh, University of Chicago, and hmm. I applied, and I got rejected. The day I, reje I got rejected, I got a call from someone's cell saying that Harlem Hospital in the Health and Hospital Corporation is looking for a medical director. I was about 36 years old at the time, and I said, wow, let me apply. I applied to that and got that position. And what I saw in that position was an ability to 
help more people than just those in the emergency department. His ability to try to shape how medicine was done on a hospital level right in the emergency department level. And that's what intrigued me about being the medical director of Harlem Hospital. And I applied for that and uh, I got the position and did that for about 11 years, 10 years, 10 and a half years. And that allowed me to not only influence uh, ER patients, but all departments and be have my hands in all things that was about the hospital, how we treated patients, how we admitted patients, how we discharged patients. How do we make patients have the appropriate follow-up? How do we make sure we manage their diabetes and their hypertension, right? Tension, right? So I did that for a while. And then, you know, left Harlem and decided to, you know, go to a different, different route and came to Metro Plus, working on the insurance level now. And, you know, I don't think people realize how much on the insurance level you can change a person's life. We do more than just say yes or no to your treatment. It's does that diabetic is that diabetic patient getting care on a on a big level? You know, now we're talking about you know Metro Plus has up six hundred fifty thousand members, and how wow. do you make how do you make sure that that diabetic who's schizophrenic who doesn't have a home and who may be a little bit you know not always capable of doing the things they need to get the care they need? And being that we're the we're the, the health insurance for the city, we have a lot of minority patients. Most of our members, about two thirds, if not more, maybe even more, I'd say four, fifty, about yeah, 60, 70, 80% of our members are Medicaid. Okay. So these are the patients who, people who don't have as much, they don't have private insurance, but they need good care and they need people to make sure that they are getting not only care that is episodic, but care that's uh, universal, the care that it's all around and that they're managed right. So that is the part that I'm doing now. That has been much more fulfilling than I thought it would have been initially. Yeah, that's huge and so much to kind of jump into. Let's go back to Harlem. Yes. So for the 10 years that you were there, um, kind of what are some of the highlights or things you're able to accomplish? Sure. You know, it's interesting. I always said, I, I, I said when I was in Harlem, one of the things about being in a big system is that it's trying to turn the Titanic. Hmm. It doesn't happen easily. And believe it or not, my boss, a young man by name, young man, older than me, but named John Palmer said, I've not accomplished much, but I got McDonald's out of Harlem hmm. in that he got a what he considered a fast food restaurant that was not good for the minority population, you know, in a hospital. You know, we're, we're trying to we're trying to promote health. Do you want a McDonald's in there serving French fries and greasy burgers? But some of the things I think we got accomplished that, you know, we look. We looked at neonatal mortality when it was a big thing, and it still is a big thing, and was able to, on our little area in Harlem, decrease the, decrease the rate of neonatal mortality just in Harlem itself. Now, this didn't go across the country, right? But we looked, and we were, we were higher than we thought, and we thought we should be, and we looked, and we were going to do that. We looked at how we managed diabetics and how we could manage their A1C and bring that down. And this was a health and hospital corporation initiative. And, and so it wasn't just Harlem, but we did our little part in that also, you know, so that was, in, that was important. We also made sure that we, we, one of the other things that we were proud of, we accomplished is making sure that our clinic system was more welcoming so you can get people into the clinic system. There's nothing worse than coming to the hospital, being discharged and told you can't follow up or get seen by your doctor for at least three, four weeks, right? And one of the biggest one I like was when we worked on trying to get schizophrenics and, and pa- patients with bi- behavioral health 
appointments within seven days. All these things were in Harlem initiatives. These are health and hospital corporation initiatives. But Harlem, we did our part and we did well in it. We, 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 we were not the slackers, not that they were slackers, but we, 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 we accomplished a lot and we, 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 we excel in those things. And I remember working with the social work staff and uh, one of the, the uh, she's, you know, like a clerical person, just to make sure that we got those patients who were discharged appointments within seven days for behavioral health. Because when you do that, they're more likely to be, get care. They're more likely to come back. If you, if you have to wait a week, more than a week, 10, 20 days, you're probably not going to come back. You're probably not going to get the care you need. So that was that was some of the big things. But it's hard. It's hard changing a system that's ingrained. But if you're willing to put your feet to the ground and work with people who are not physicians, yeah, right, who are just want to be heard, you can get things done, right? So that clerk knows a lot. Listen to them. Don't blow them off. That's the clerk. I'm the doctor. I'm the nurse. Listen to that clerk. You know, one of the big things that, uh, you know, we, we, we did was just making sure that we listened to them, take their ideas, made them feel part of the team and, and, and get things like making sure members, patients got their appointments. So let me make sure I understand this correctly. So Health and Hospitals Corporation is the big overarching Conglomerate. I don't know how do you, how do you describe that. Yeah, health and hospitals is, 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 is it consists of thirteen acute care facilities, a lot of um, diagnostic and, t- and treatment centers, and other uh, long term care centers. That's health and hospital corporation. It's, so it's a public hospital system of New York City, right? Mm-hmm. So we're the we're the we're the stopgap for anyone who needs care, anyone who has or does not have insurance. We turn no one away. Uh, we treat everyone, no matter where you're from, what your insurance, your immigration status doesn't matter. And that's 13 of those hospitals in the five, in the four, really, the four boroughs of New York. Gotcha. And then within that was Harlem Hospital. Harlem Hospital is one of them that I, yeah. So gotcha. I trained at Metropolitan, which is one of them. I trained at, I did my my medical director position at Harlem Hospital. And I, I did my fellowship before that at Bellevue Hospital, another health and hospital corporation. So I'm assuming the health and hospitals corporation has this data and they say, we want to improve the healthcare. Uh, for for people with behavioral health problems, we want to get these uh, appointments scheduled, and then they kind of filter that out to the individual hospitals to accomplish the task. Yes. So so yes. So so every three months, Harlem would have to present to the Board of Health and Hospital Corporation on mm-hmm. indicators. You know, it could be heart failure, it could be diabetes, it could be seven day appointments after you know discharge, anything like that. And you have to produce your data present to the board, and then they give you recommendations how you could do better. Uh, do you need to talk to the person over at the other hospital who's doing this better? You know, why you know why are you lagging? Do you need more staff? What is it that your system is not doing? So, yeah. So we report out to the, every three months, each hospital has to report out to the Health and Hospital Corporation. Wow, that's fascinating. And then you, as a medical director, mm-hmm. how would you take that information and then translate it down to the, the boot on the ground, if you will. Sure. So so as a medical director, I, I now have to meet with all the directors of service, right? So the, the director of medicine, director of peds. You know, so we have regular meetings and we talk about what we want to do. We talk about what our numbers are. We talk about where do we want to go. And so you then have to monitor that, put in place systems that can help you get to where you want to go. And every month you got to come back and tell us, in a, you know, how are you doing? Why are not? Why are you? How did you get that far? Very good. Why are not moving? Things like that. So it's kind of like you know, starts at the top, 
comes down to the medical directors and the CEO of the hospital, hospital nursing staff, obviously, have to be involved also. But not just, like I said, not just the people at the top, you know, the people at the, the people who are, are there every day who are closest to the, the patients also help. A great example, rapid response teams. I think everybody has them now. Yeah. When, we, when it started at Harlem Hospital, one of the most important people in that rapid response team was the janitor. The janitor? Really? How is that? Well, that janitor goes into Mr. Jones's room every day. For the seven days, Mr. Jones is there. Hi, Mr. Jones. How you doing? Hi, sir. How are you? The fourth day he goes and Mr. Jones doesn't talk to him. Mr. Jones is not responsive. That janitor now could say, hey, doc. Hey, nurse. Mr. Jones is not the same today. Go take a look at him. Eyes on the floor, eyes on the ground saying, wow, you know, Mr. Jones is not the same. Miss, Miss, Miss Murphy was talking to me, but now she's slurring her speech because I see her every day. So we incorporated having people just like the janitors say, hey, something's going on with that person in that room that's not the same. You might say, wow, janitor. Yeah, the janitor. Because the nurse can't be there all the time. The doctor can't be all the time. No one can be. No, that, that is fascinating. And, I, and I'm so glad you're able to share kind of the granular aspect. I know a lot of the, the listeners are young when it comes to practicing medicine, if you will, and realizing that after a couple of years, you can kind of level up to have this amount of impact. You know, I didn't really know how it, it happened. And I, I know a lot of people maybe can understand better how they can have even more of an impact on the healthcare that hospital systems provide. It's, it's, it talks about, it's really about taking a little problem that you see and trying to fix it and, you know, every day. And, and, and I can tell you, I used to get frustrated a lot. I used to, every January 1st, when I came back or second, when I came back to my office, I would make a list of the things I wanted to accomplish. And I got to tell you, sometimes the list didn't change for a couple of years, hmm. right? I, I, I used to always say, if there's two people in a room when I was at, at, at Harlem and you and I said, we need to move that pencil from that side of the room to the next. And we're the only two people in the room that has to decide that. And we said, we want to do that. When we said, when we took it out to the committee and said, we want to do that, 15 people would tell you why you can't do it <laughs> because it's always been that way. And that's why things don't happen. But what we found is that if you find a problem and you put people to talk about it and think about it and find people who want to be invested in it. Not everybody's invested in every problem. You can make changes, and those changes can be significant if you stay with it. And I think the young, younger generation that's coming up now needs to understand that uh, it's really about not now, but maybe tomorrow. Yeah, I can't get it all done today. But I can if I continue doing work and I get done tomorrow. Stick with it. If you find a, something you think is important, stick with it. If someone tells you now nah, it doesn't work, go to someone else. If if they tell you, okay, tomorrow, come back tomorrow and keep on going and stick with it and 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 and, and move it, move it every day, every day. Just like how it took what it took to get through medical school, right? Every day you had to stick with it. Because if you didn't, it wouldn't work. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure uh, you want to retire at some point. So somebody's got to come along. You can pass the torch. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I, and, and I, I want to make sure when I pass that torch, uh, the people who I'm passing it to are comfortable doing what they're supposed to be doing and feel empowered to do the right things and have learned the right lessons. Yeah. So, so Dr. Henry, you know, you took us through your role there at Harlem Hospital and you said you, you now work on the insurance side. Now, insurance, yes. 
is a nerdy word for some physicians, depending on who you ask, there's a lot that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what you're doing from that uh, side of, of the fence? Sure. So from this side of the, 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 the fence, it's a little different, right? So now I'm not providing direct care only on, on Wednesdays when I go to the emergency department. This side is deciding what kind of care is approvable. What kind of care can you say the person can get? And that really is saying yes or no to does this person need the surgery? Does the person not need surgery? That's the, that's the easy part. That That's the easy part. Yes or no. Medically, you you have a, a gallbladder that needs to come out. It's inflamed. You have pain. It comes out. But what about the fact that you are obese and that the fact that you are not seeing your doctor and the fact that you are not diabetic? Now, that might, you know, those things might not be, I can't cut those things and fix it, but I can try to put a team around you, a care management team that says, you know, let us talk about how you manage your diabetes. What's your, what's your A1C? What, what is, how can we put you on a nutritional plan? How can we get you care because you haven't seen your doctor? A great example, a, 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 a member called me two days ago and says, Dr. Henry, I need to see my doctor because she has a malignancy that's doing better. And she says, I need to see my doctor, but I can't get to see them for another four or five weeks. And I want to see them before that because I'm in some pain. I said, let me work on that. So I called my care manager and my, my customer service person. They reached out to the doctor, reached out to the clinic and got her appointment three weeks later. That's, you know, that's, that's the kind of things you want to do. You want to make sure you can find your members and get them care when they need it, get them care when they're not in care, make sure that, you know, they're managing their diabetes, making sure that they get their asthma medications on time, making sure that, if you know, rather than having getting their asthma medication every uh, once a month, uh, they can get it, they can pick up three-month supply. Can they get that blood pressure medications every three months so they don't have to go to the doctor? Making sure we set up systems so they can find their record online and find their doctors online and find their prescriptions online so they, they know what they're taking. Making sure that when they need services, we're there to give to, to help them navigate it. Uh, you know, when behavioral health, you know, you know, if people are have behavioral health problems, but they don't have a house to live in, then that doesn't do well in that they're gonna be thinking about, you know, taking care of their medication, taking their medications. So maybe we can assist them with housing, right? We we have we have a, a, a segment of our, you know, company that works to help people who have food insecurity, housing security, you know, just to try to help them. So you say insurance, yeah, insurance does that, and that's and you can do that on a much bigger level at the insurance level than you can in the emergency department or a hospital. So those are the things that insurances can do. That's the things that Metro Plus works to do to help our members. It's fantastic. Definitely part of a much much bigger picture than, than I had in mind before speaking with you. Uh, Dr. Henry, thanks so much for coming on the show and, and sharing bits and pieces of your incredible career. Um, as we start to wrap up, what would you say are kind of next steps for physicians out there that say, you know, I may be interested in having the impact that, that you have had and fulfilling some of those roles? Mm-hmm. I've been blessed to have a lot of good mentors people who have taken me under their wing and said, hey, look at this, read this, you know, talk about this, go this direction. Find someone who you feel comfortable with and don't ask them to make you a better doctor. Just ask them to 
follow to, to see what they do, to get an insight of what's going on in the hospital, you know, take you to a meeting, introduce you to someone who can show you how something else is done differently. I think it's important that the young doctors now look at not just where they're at, but where they would like things to be. As physicians, we're blessed. We're blessed because we've been given a, uh, the position and the ability to look at things where a lot of people in the world haven't. So we can see how hospitals run, how insurance runs. Find someone who's going to just allow you to see a different point of view. If you're an emergency medicine physician, find out why surgery does things the way they do. Find out why anesthesiologists do, does the things they would do. Find out why your patient couldn't get that surgery or that, that, that clinic appointment for a month and then try to figure out how you could make it better. Little parts of it, right? Little parts of it. And, and, and then you will see a whole different view of medicine. You'll see a whole different view of the patient. And also remember, it's not about you. Yeah. It's about that patient. It's about that family. It's about that coworker that's next to you. And if you can look at things from their point of view, then you'll get a better sense of what's really going on and how you can make changes. Right? Don't be closed off to your little narrow medicine doctor. You know, look, take a, take a view of everything around you and find something you're passionate about. I, 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 I can't, you cannot do this unless you're passionate about it. Right? You can't try to fix a problem that's going to take you two, three years unless you feel passionate about it. You can't do it. You, you know, why would I want to spend my time doing that if I'm not passionate about it? So find your passion. It's amazing advice. Well, Dr. Glendon Henry, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Doctors podcast and sharing the work you've done over your career. Uh, so important because representation matters. Thank you so much. Thank you. And then continue the good work you're doing because I think you're opening eyes and you're opening doors for others who can then come behind you and do the same thing and make a change. Truly hope so. I truly hope so. The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. If you enjoy listening, tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. We are a small team and can use all the help we can get. You can reach us at the Black Doctors Podcast on Instagram or at Stephen Bradley MD on Twitter or Instagram. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast because representation matters.